Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. So thanks so much for joining me again this week on the All Fired Up podcast. I'm so excited to bring you this conversation this week. I'm just loving the process of All Fired Up. I'm just really finding every week I'm having conversations with people that are just fascinating and I'm finding out so much about what everyone's up to and the different viewpoints and experiences of people. And I guess some are taking me a little more out of my comfort zone than others. And this week definitely was an example of a conversation that did take me out of my comfort zone because I spoke this week with Fumi Samahara, who is a anti-diet dietitian based in Sydney. And she works at Key Nutrition Solutions, but she's also an expert when it comes to helping people in the dance world look after their health and nutrition needs from a non-diet perspective. And her particular dance world is ballet world. And, you know, if there's one place that's pretty much a foreign planet for me, it's it's ballet. Although I, I guess I've always admired the skill and strength that's involved in ballet, I'm not particularly renowned in my own life for having, I don't know, a lot of balance or rhythm or anything like that. And I was kicked out of ballet pretty young and um, told that maybe I could do jazz, <laughs> which I think in dance world, is their way of saying, you know, maybe you're not a born dancer. So yes, it's not my comfort zone. It's not my world, but it's definitely Fumi's world. And I loved this conversation that I had with her because what came across in this chat with her was not just how annoyed she is with how the body image ideal and diet culture kind of screws with dancers, but her love of dance and her passion for dance world and appreciation and enthusiasm. So it almost felt like this conversation was a dance in that, yeah, she was definitely leading. And I learned, like, I just had no idea about a lot of the stuff she was talking about. So please excuse my ignorance for people who may know more about dance world as they listen to this conversation. But I really appreciated everything that she had to say. And, you know, it was just illuminating, particularly to find out, you know, who knew that feminism really existed in the ballet world, you know, way back a century ago, but it definitely has. So all sorts of surprises take place in this talk with Fumi. And I really hope you sit back and enjoy and give us feedback about what you think about this episode. So without further ado, here's my guest, Fumi. So Fumi, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks, Louise. Oh, I'm so excited about this conversation. What is firing you up? So I'm really sick of seeing the stereotypical body image issues in dance. And it's about time that we had a conversation about this because no one wants to talk about it. (laughs) This is a subject that's pretty close to your heart, isn't it? Because you're a dietitian, but you specialise in primarily working with dancers. Yeah. And specifically ballet dancers, right? Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you say ballet dancers, I think everyone now has this image of, oh, she must be, she must be working with all these tall, white, blonde, thin females. But, I mean, we need to challenge that. 
Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's a strong stereotype, I guess. And when we see pictures of ballet dancers or think about, you know, when I think about something, I mean, I'm very uneducated. I'm typically really out of my comfort zone today. Yeah, yeah. But when I think of things like Swan Lake, I do think of a bunch of thin women. But what you're saying is that's a stereotype and doesn't really reflect ballet. Is that right? Definitely. Like, yes, it is a very female-dominated world and tracking back to its origin in France, it is quite white-dominated as well. So there's a lot of factors that interrelate in this body stereotype in ballet because there's a racism there's the social and economic things and there's the current diet culture that plays a big role but the world is changing slowly so there's actually a bit more diversity and we need to promote that yes yeah well that's really hopeful that there is more diversity but I guess what you're saying is like ballet like everything else is influenced by the world in which it exists so Mm-hmm. influenced by racism by sexism by capitalism all those kinds of forces and now diet culture really because there is a high rate of eating disorders for example in ballerinas and dancers in general right yes unfortunately yeah so there is that pressure that exists but yeah so we were hoping that today we could sort of pick apart everything that you've just mentioned mm. and you're talking about ballet's rich history and to be honest, I have literally no idea. So <laughs> what is the history of ballet? So it started in France and it was a court dance first. Right, it so was court about... meaning like dancing for kings and queens? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the person who started was a male, not a female, the way for. That's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the person who's typically blamed of the current of body ideal in dance is Balanchine, but there's actually so much more to ballet than just Balanchine. Like I love his work and all that, but mm-hmm. look, there was, so it, it was for female dancers. Yeah. Yeah. You mean ballet was created for females. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't about those choo-choos that you think of today, not those like white, white swan lake choo-choos. It didn't start off with that, but it was so much more conservative. Mm-hmm. And people were dancing in corsets and with heels, not even those point shoes that you think of. Wow. Yeah. I'm just trying to think it's hard to even like breathe in a corset, let alone dance. I know, right? I really, like, I only see pictures and drawings of these people and I just, I can only imagine what it must have been like. But look, already in the 18th century, there was a Marie Camargo, who I love her because of the way she just got rid of the corset to perform jumps. And at that time, like, look, it's like you're a female, you're not supposed to do all big, these big jumps. That's for male dancers. But she challenged that. And I think that's, that was such a big move. That's such a feminist move, right? To... It is. It is. So ballet isn't all about being like fluffy and sparkly and girly. It is about challenging the norm. And it's often the female that does that. Yeah. It's, so it's not all about, I mean, I guess it's ironic, isn't it? It's created for female compliance, dancing in high heels in a corset. Mm, and then like exactly. the, what, what, her name, Camargo, she 
tore off like it's the equivalent of burning the bra she tore off the corset and jumped around yeah yeah awesome (laughs) yeah and then in like the 19th century there was i think it was the 19th century there was marie chagloni who took off the heels and that's another great thing to do and then there there was also like um zora duncan who had such a huge impact on the fashion side of ballet like she brought more loose gypsy-like attire than a very conservative dress. Mm. So they're getting wilder and wilder as time goes on. Yeah. I like that idea. I know. It's so brave, isn't it? And you imagine, I mean, of course, you know, it's hard to imagine how much pushback must have happened when changes like that were occurring. Yeah. But without them, we're we're not here now, so. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned Balanchine and... Apparently, he's a very famous choreographer who I should definitely know more about. But can you tell me a bit more about him? Yeah, so Balanchine, he was such a talented choreographer and I love his work to bits. But um, he's also known for creating all these thin idealism in ballet and uh, causing all the eating disorders in dance. I think <laughs> just just one guy just caused all the eating disorders in camp. <laughs> and I kind of I sometimes even feel a bit sorry for him because like as a choreographer I think he did a great job. So he's Russian and he was born in a very artistic family. He was a dancer himself, but he had the talent for choreography and that's the career he pursued. But he's also the founder of the School of the American Ballet. New York City Ballet and he was an artistic director there so he had a lot of influence on dancers. His dancers often called Balanchine dancers so his work he did a lot of choreography for specific dancers. It wasn't just a do a choreography and anyone can take it it was I am going to make this piece for you and the dancers that he preferred like he had a taste for those lengthy, slender, tall, long limbs, small head, small hip shaped dancers. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the very famous one yeah. will probably be like Susan Farrell. She's known as a Balanchine dancer. And I think a lot of the thin ballet dance body ideal came from her as well. Like looking at her because she is a beautiful dancer, but also this dancer called Chelsea Kirkland, she wrote a book of her whole career and life in ballet. And in that, she does talk about the eating disorders that she suffered. So she struggled with, she says she suffered with anorexia and bulimia whilst working with Alan Jean. So, right, yes. When did she write that book recently? <gasps> no, oh, I don't remember actually. We'll have to look that up. Yeah, well, it's not that recent. It's quite old. Yeah, because he was around, you said, early to yeah, the 1900s. Yeah, so he was born early 1900s, like 1904, 1905. And so, yeah, it was mid-1900s that he mm. had these answers. Yeah, I think the mid-1900s, you know, it really, so from the beginning of the 1900s throughout that whole century is when that mm. whole idea of the female thin ideal really took hold like in a number yeah. of ways so like we've got yeah. the trappers in the 1920s we've got the Marilyn Monroe you know and then yeah. TV and then the super, super yes. in the 80s like the and in ballet world mm. and his dancers came along 
bang in the middle of it. It's so interesting. It is. And look, I think anyone who is on the side of teaching dancers and looking after dancers, they really need to be careful of how to talk about bodies and how to nurture good body image. But we're talking about this time where, yes, there was that outside of ballet, the thin ideal that was already happening. And also the social and economic environment back then where food availability was not plenty. And a lot of these dancers, like all the other non-dance population, they were living on rations. And if they were living on that limited food supply and they had to go through so much of that lessons and rehearsals and performance and all the training, of course they are going to thin down. And I guess that aspect is often not looked at. Wow, that's such an interesting perspective. You're absolutely right. Because around, you know, the end of the Second World War, during the Second World War, like there wasn't a lot of food around. And exactly, if people are doing that much physical exertion, yeah, that's mm. going to have an impact on their so their bodies are kind of yeah starved, not because of an ideal, but just because of necessity. Exactly. So there was this time of starvation or more like um, food, it was just simply that the food wasn't plenty. Plus, there was this choreographer who happened to prefer that linear body. And then there was this massive growth in the ballet world. So that, like, his work were great. So everyone had all their attention on him. And also there was the thin ideal outside of the ballet world, which only reinforced that stereotypical body mm. shape. It's like a perfect storm of factors coming together. I know, like, right? There's your ballerina, the ballerina. Yeah, there you go. And that kind of stuck with us for so long. Yeah, and it really has stuck because obviously his work must be beautiful and you know mm. very inspiring to a lot of people, but it became so dominant that... Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I've because- had dancers as clients come in and talk about how they've been told that their body is not the ballet ideal and that was the kind of birth of their eating disorder. Oh, Louise, I don't know how many people I've seen in both my personal and professional life who just decided not to pursue their career because they've been told, you know, you just don't have the dancer body or I'm going to give you this role until you lose this many kilos. Yeah. That's heartbreaking because what is a dancer's body? It's just a construction. Yeah, and really need to stop just chasing this thin ideal because these days a lot of the companies have contemporary work and that is very challenging for the body. It has so much more different muscle recruitment requirements and in a sense that is actually challenging the body ideal though, which... I find it very interesting and exciting. It is, yeah, but it's also kind of depressing at the same time. If diverse bodies can only fit in contemporary dance, it still excludes different body shapes from classical ballet. You're right, Louise. Which, it sucks. <laughs> and that's the initial thought I had because there was definitely this thought amongst a lot of dancers and teachers even going, okay, she's a great dancer, but probably not for a classical. You have to go to contemporary. It was as if a classical ballet was more superior than contemporary. Mm. But different people have different tastes. And 
classical ballet, not just the body shape and size, but it is a very, very limited world. I mean, the requirement for the turnout, the perfectly arched feet and hyperextended knee, but not too hyperextended because then it doesn't look nice. And there's just, and like there's the whole flexibility and then the strength to support that. It's very selective. Wow. It sounds like when you describe it like that, it sounds so contained and so... It is. And some people love that. Yeah. Like some people love living in that selective world and challenging it from there, whilst other people love to explore outside of that. Mm. And I started off by thinking, well, you know, classical ballet is at the top and if you can't make it, you go to contemporary. But I'm seeing so many great contemporary work and dances and it's almost like just two, and it, it is two different things. Yeah, yeah. But it's also losing that idea of superiority of one type yeah. of over another mm. and just seeing, just mm. appreciating difference, which is, mm. you know, that reflects what body diversity is, isn't it? Letting go of the mm. idea of the superiority of one kind of body and appreciating the glorious variations yeah. that can exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely seeing this like very nice blend that's happening in companies as well. So it's a great age of another change in ballet, Louise. That's really reassuring. Mm-hmm. To and yeah, what other kinds of changes are you seeing? Yeah, so so with that, like changing the repertoires that companies are doing, so from just performing classical pieces, they now have a lot of contemporary work as well. Definitely change or more diversity in race not just body shapes and size but race as well so do you know misty copeland yes oh uh, like when she came out everyone was wowed (laughs) yeah so she's a ballerina of color and she's at the new york ballet right Yes, yeah, so she's a ballerina of Cologne. She was the first one to become a principal at the Rankin Ballet. And I was, oh, this, like, when that happened, it was just so exciting because it... When did that happen, do you know? Like, I think it was in 2015 that she was promoted. So quite recent. Maybe it was 2014. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, I'm, just, I'm like, sort of shocked that it's taken that long for mm, someone of a different race to... Exactly. I mean, there was... That's yeah, there were always, a mine, like, a very small number of dancers who were not white. But, like, to become a principal, it was almost given that you had to be white. Uh, but she changed it, like... She's a great dancer. She's loved by so many people and and now she is a principal. Yeah, because you you were saying before before we were chatting, you said that to be a principal at the New York Ballet, you have to be not just technically brilliant, but people have to love you. Yeah, so like at the end, it is a world of performing arts where it's not about just having the techniques right. You have to have the characteristic that the audience will love yeah and want to really come to you and she she obviously had that to be promoted as principal yeah yeah, yeah. and the, oh there was this Prida Lausanne winner so Prida Lausanne is one of the top well-known ballet competitions yeah yeah you just think of it like a world cup kind of thing in ballet the world yeah. cup yeah that's how big it is but there was this um Japanese dancer Madoka Sugai and she won it she won the prize 
but she was cool more she had more muscle tone than like what you would think of a typical dancer and there were all these horrible criticism of her body initially but then she was actually supported because of her strength and the fact that she had enough muscles to execute these amazing jumps mm. and i just loved how that the ballet schools and companies supported that yeah. it already seems that already shows that you know the outside of the world is still having this stereotype while the inside is trying to fight against it ah uh, yeah okay and yeah. this is what gets you fired up because yeah you're, you're right there in it so you know the shifts are happening mm, and look there's always going to be those schools and or companies or specific teachers that all will be very critical of so many bodies and want to stay in this one body idealism but there's i do see louise a lot of flexibility and variety mm. starting to happen that's so hopeful yeah and i need to go back and find out which reviewer this was but the australian ballet i think it was when they did the faster yeah. someone one of the reviewer called them um described them as athletic animals and that's just my favorite quote because no one in this world looks at a ballet dancer well, like a company of ballet dancers and call them athletic animals i mean i know that's so far from like the pretty swan like stereotype that exactly exactly I love, I love it and that was from the australian ballet yeah australian ballet yeah how is the australian ballet going do you think with this whole um, thing i think I just respect them. I respect the dancers there. I respect the whole team there. And look, <laughs> Fiona Sutherland, who's my supervisor as well, mm-hmm. I just adore her work and I think they're so lucky to have her there. Yeah, because she does a lot of work with the Australian Ballet. and She like, does. It's just the does. coolest thing in the world to know that there's such a fierce anti-diet dietitian working right at the coalface with the exactly. Aussie ballet dancers. Yeah. And the way the Australian ballet works, it just shows how important it is to actually have that whole team support. Yeah. Like yeah. the physiotherapist there, Sue's great and Paula's great. Like and the, I guess for dancers, it is all about their career as a dancer. I mean, the amount of, time that they can stay as a professional dancer is limited yeah and so when working with dancers it's all about okay how can you optimize that and how can you deal with all the injuries that happen and I guess having that and for me like I have a few physios and massage therapists that I just trust from my heart and I know will take care of my students but having that great team who focuses on those dancers' goals and to have that body neutrality mm. is just so important. Yeah, it's going to really protect people from developing disordered eating. Exactly. Because what I see is when it's that time of injury that's the most difficult to deal with. Yeah, yeah. When a dancer is injured and told, okay, well, 
you know, you can't be in the show or you can't dance or you can't do these specific things. That's devastating. Yeah. And at the same time, it's so it's depressing. It's worrying. It just, everything goes out of control almost. So having that team to support the dancer to come back mm-hmm. is just so important. Yeah, I guess it's about developing resilience and coping when yeah. wrong because life is not perfect. It no. sometimes go horribly wrong. We get injured, mm-hmm. um, you know, we fall over, something bad happens. And having resilience is that, that ability to come back from that and keep on going. Mm-hmm. Having a supportive community around you is really essential to that. Yeah, definitely. And having like having an open conversation as well. So I work at different dance schools and yes, I do the nutrition side of things too, education. And I also teach like body conditioning classes, which is all about how to understand more about your body. What are your strengths, weaknesses, or what kind of muscular balance training you have to do. So there's a lot of that inner body deep connection work that we do. Mm. But for them to and it's also a great time to marry that with intuitive eating and behavior yeah well it's that was the word that came to my mind when you were describing that connection with your body and the conditioning work it's really getting into your body becoming embodied exactly yeah louise embodied love it and listening listening not only to how movement's making your body feel but you can very easily generalize that across to being in tune with hunger and fullness and things like that. Mm. It helps people to make peace with food. Yeah. And that's probably something dancers are really good at. At being embodied? Yes. Absolutely. They are so quick to get it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you've got a real strong way in to helping them Mm -hmm. understand how they can make peace with food. But only if they have the right team behind them, because if you're if you're working in a ballet school that sort of says just keep dancing if you're injured, mm. that's sort of not an embodied way of looking at it. But if hopefully you're working with a supportive team, which is you know if your body's saying don't move, don't move, then yeah. you'll be able to get better. Yeah, and dancers are funny. Like dancers are this bunch where if you tell them they have to take like four weeks off class, they're going to be devastated. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not going to be like, oh, yeah, I get four weeks off. It's actually going to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm off for four weeks. Like my skills and techniques are going to deteriorate. What am I going to do? That anxiety is going to build up. So having a team, like I love my physios that I work with because they actually give the student and us a feedback as well of what specific exercises they can do in class mm-hmm. and what specific ones that must be modified or just not get involved in for like two weeks or four weeks or six weeks that particular time frame yeah then we also have discussions about well what else can they do then while they're in class so they're still involved yeah they're they're still dipping their toe in just not too hard exactly exactly and for them to have that you know little bit in and little bit out is a great time for them to then get back to their body because once they're completely off they just it's a lot that's a great time for them to really develop this poor relationship with food often yeah. mm. it's all about flexibility like what you're talking about is not being black and white but about exactly yeah a little more enjoying the gray yeah what's a little thing i can do and mm. 
you know, of course, I mean, I don't know if you do this, you probably do because you work with Fiona Sutherland, but the whole practice of self-compassion when things yeah. are tough is like that helps people build resilience. So self-compassion is really just about being kind to yourself when exactly. things are not going your way. Because so yeah. often when we have a difficult time, like if you're a dancer and you're injured, you'll get angry at yourself. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's almost like the whole blame goes onto you. And I, like in my classes, I use it as a great invitation for an open discussion as long as that student is happy to do so. And it's a great way to actually talk about why did the injury happen and then what the body needs at that particular time and talking about, well, then if you're injured in this way, I wonder what movements will be difficult for the body at this particular time. I wonder what movements your body can still do. Like if they had a foot and ankle injury, like all those sprains and strains that are so common, their upper body is still super healthy and they can work on their porta bras. And it's a great time for them to really fine tune their bra and that grids on stage later when they actually do get back into the full training. And then I had a student last month who was, he broke his ankle two days before his show. His teacher was super angry. <laughs> of course she was because he had these, all these different parts of the show. But it was a great time to really focus on his core stability. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was like an eye-opener because his core work he knew it was important but he never put so much focus on it yeah yeah so there's always things to gain and when the dancer realizes that they can still gain a lot of things whilst they're injured it does develop a healthy habit for them yeah yeah it's when we try to kind of accept and open up to the difficulties that are happening Mm. and seeing what can i learn from this rather than defaulting in the raging against the universe that why did this happen to me? It's mm, such a mm. difficult thing to do, but it's such a useful skill to develop because it really does give you true resilience. Exactly, yeah. Well, what an exciting conversation. I'm going to go and watch some ballet, I think. <laughs> you, oh, Louise, the World Ballet Day was first week of October. And because I was like dead busy during that week, I've only started catching up on the videos. But you can go on YouTube and go World Ballet Day and you'll see all these, not just stage performances, but you see these classes. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have a look at that. Yes, please. I'm going to educate myself. Thank you for the work you do. And just knowing that people like you and Fiona Sutherland and, you know, there's there's so many people involved in working with dancers and making it a safer space for dancers. And what's really hopeful is by knowing that changes are happening inside dance companies, mm-hmm. those changes are going to translate and influence diet culture. Like, before that there were critics talking about the muscularity of that dance mm-hmm. but you know what with repeated exposure to her by just the virtue of keeping on seeing her people got to appreciate wow she's amazing exactly exactly and that's like reflective of body diversity as long as we are exposed to only a narrow ideal we start to think that that is the only acceptable thing but once we're exposed at time and time again even though initially we might think oh, that's not attractive or that's not 
you know, what I'm used to seeing. With repeated exposure, we see the beauty and we see... Exactly, yeah. We see what it can offer the world. And mm. so hopefully, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing, right? Ballet changes diet culture. Oh, oh, that is my dream come true. <laughs> like, I keep on telling people dancers don't diet because that really strong stereotype of dancers just living on air and water and a bit of chocolate and coffee. It's about time we really encourage dancers to nourish themselves and connect with their bodies and then the outside world to also understand that dancers can and do eat and that's the fuel they really need to actually perform all these magical, wonderful acts. Mm, yeah transforming that whole relationship into one Mm, of of joy and gratitude rather than deprivation and fear exactly louise thank you so much for talking to us today for me thank you so much for your time louise and thanks for giving me this opportunity oh wonderful it just just flew absolutely (laughs) take take very good care of yourself and we will talk again soon you too So that was the incredible Fumi Samahara from dancersdontdiet.com.au. Look her up. She is literally on fire. And, you know, you kind of have faith knowing that if dancers are in the hands of professionals like her, maybe we'll be okay, right? Maybe diet culture will start to topple from the most unlikely of places. So that's another episode for another week. And I hope that you're enjoying it as much as I'm enjoying it. And if you like us, please remember to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and head over to iTunes and give us a really nice review and rating so the word can get out more about All Fired Up. We're definitely seeing the word spread and more and more people joining us each week, which is just so tremendously exciting. And I really appreciate all of your feedback and emails and comments and lovely stuff that people have said about us. Now, if you have something that's really pissing you off about diet culture, please feel free to get in touch and let us know because, you know, I'd love a good rant. So send us an email to admin at untrapped.com.au and let us know what's getting up your nose. And of course, don't forget about the Untrapped program, which is the sponsor of this podcast. And that's at untrapped.com.au. And of course, this community is growing and thriving and getting sort of angrier and more empowered each week and I'm just really sort of feel like I'm thriving at the moment with everything that's going on in all these different areas so come along check us out and see if you think that this program might be for you as well so next week we will be back with a huge pile of diet culture bullshit to pick through and hopefully rub through our hands and turn into a lovely pile of manure that we can use to fertilize a change and a revolution. So I look forward to speaking with you all next week. In the meantime, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap.